As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our preview of World Cup Group G. It's the group that contains the mighty Cellar Sal. Brazil are expected to fire some shots across the bow and some shots across the goal. Don't expect them to miss there, but we'll miss Firmino and Coutinho like Neymar misses his sister. And for the third time in their current guise, Serbia <laughs> will take to the World Cup pitch and they'll bring with them their most potent weapon. Dusan Vlavic and the neutrals are here, but the Swiss will be no rubes. After all, they've got MLS experience in the form of the Power Cube. And if Cameroon start like they did in 1990, they can do no wrong. And things haven't been going too badly under coach Rigobert Song. So that's Group G. Does it contain the team that will win it all? Possibly. Stick around for this pod and we might just make that call. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's embracing his inner Amanda Vidits to talk Serbia today, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Oh man, if only, if only I could embrace my inner Nemanja Vidic, it would mean, uh, I guess, like taking shots with my face, but also winning silverware. It's an equal trade-off. It is indeed. And listener and Taylor, I'd like to apologize for my audio quality. I am recording in the world's most echoey room Not today. accepted. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you I'm might appreciate a bit more mark. echo, like a like an 80s rock song. How do you feel, Taylor? <laughs> I mean, you did uh, make it slightly more magical, and you are going the uh, the take on me animation style, right, as we record, so it's all black and white and like line drawings for Ryan Bailey suddenly? No, it's actually Money from Nothing Die Straight, so I'm a big blocky computer game right now. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yes, yeah, good. <laughs> uh, joining us, Taylor, a man we're sound- sounding a beige alert for. I'm going to tell my wife hello because Graham Ruthven is covering the neutrals, Switzerland today, Graham. <laughs> yeah, so Switzerland, there's a stereotype about Switzerland, not only as a country, but their national team as well. I'm going to try and steer us away from that stereotype and tell you why this West team might be slightly different and slightly more exciting than they have been at previous tournaments but yes uh, they're they're very efficient they appear at many major tournaments and i have to talk about them later on i'm very much looking forward to that i'm looking forward to that too graham i'm looking forward to dropping more futurama references that our final host joe larry will have no idea what i'm talking about hello joe hello ryan i'm just still proud of myself for eventually catching christina aguilera the other day so i feel like i've kind of made it this week anything else is gravy Excellent stuff. Well, I look forward to confusing you even further, Joseph. Uh, Before we get to the Group G action, we're doing a live show. We're doing two live shows, in fact, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, This coming Sunday, November 20th, we're at Littlefield, Brooklyn for our main live event. Ticket links in the description. And we're also, the following Sunday, doing a watch-along, a live watch-along with Germany versus Spain in a space, uh, is it like next door to Littlefield, Grand Park Life, it's called. Yeah, it's, it's round the back, which kind of sounds like it's in the alley behind Littlefield. I swear it's not. It's it's an actual pub. We've hired out the, the whole bar for the second event, the uh, second event, the TSS watch party for Spain, Germany, as you say. So yeah, if you if you just walk around the, bo- the block, you will find park life. 
Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And by the way, listener, a little a challenge or a request of you we're making today. Uh, we'll be taking listener questions on that live show, that first live show this coming Sunday. So if you have listener questions for us about the World Cup, about anything else you want to ask us in that show, do send them in. Thank you very much. And one other announcement we have to make is if we haven't made enough. Graham, tell them about another special announcement. Yes, yeah, so today we are launching a TSS World Cup Plus. That is a, a Patreon membership. And basically with the four of us being together in Brooklyn for the majority of the group stage and also for our coverage of the tournament in general, we thought we'd provide a little bit extra content. So that's where a lot of bonus shows or all our bonus shows are, 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 are going to live on the Patreon during the tournament. There'll be some video content there as well. Some written blog content. Joe will do some tactic stuff. I'll do some kit stuff. And yeah, um, we'll we'll put the the link in the description of the of the show. We'll put it out on social media, and we'd very much like to have people follow along our coverage of the World Cup because we've got more in us than a, a podcast every single day. Maybe slightly self indulgent, but please come along and uh, with us on the Patreon and come along to the live shows as well. Yes, indeed. Please do that. And Graham, thank you once again for fielding the details of these things because you hold them in your yeah. head much better than I do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I agree with that. I would echo that about Graham. Uh, and Ryan, thank you for, for doing the hosting as well. Joe, thank you for bringing the knowledge. You guys are also wonderful. Uh, listeners have asked if we are planning to like still do shows while we're in New York and, and if we're going to do any sort of coverage, uh, which maybe like makes me feel like we should clarify that we are still going to do our daily coverage. We're going to be putting out the podcast covering every single game, uh, and that will still be available just as this one is. Then we're just going to have the extra. So, uh, like a World Cup Plus thing. We're going to have the live shows. We're going to have a lot going on, but you can still find us right here in this feed covering every single game uh, of this World Cup. And this was just a, a business move by all of us because we know that if Graham doesn't watch or work on soccer for at least 16 hours a yeah. day, he will spontaneously combust. So really, yeah, we're just yeah. trying to protect Graham. <laughs> That's all this is. If you want to protect Graham from spontaneously combusting, I think you know what to do. Yeah, I, I just fade away if I don't watch soccer <laughs> for, for a few days. It's like the picture of Mark McFly's family. I, I am picturing a scenario in which Graham is so used to multi-screening that, that he has the same, like, because we're only going to get one game at a time. So Graham's going to have, like, the World Cup just on five different screens all at once watching the exact same game. He's got it in Spanish. Yeah. He's got it in English. Yeah. He's got it in Scottish. <laughs> he's hope. got it on the tactics cam. He's got the sideline cam. He's got everything. I hope they have that. I can't remember if that was just an ESPN thing, but they used to have where you could select the feed that would be the tactical cam yeah. and then watch at the same time. Uh, that was pretty magical and wonderful. I would multi-screen for that one, but I don't know if we'll get that from Fox. We shall see. Sterling Albion are actually playing games all the way through the World Cup, so I'm just going to double is. up and watch their games. I'm not sure how they're going to get a pie to me in Brooklyn, though, so we'll see, hmm. we'll see what happens. That there. could be tricky, Graham. You're right. Logistically, that might be a bit of a challenge for them. All right yeah, then, guys. Why, why don't we uh, <laughs> uh, do a little bit less pie talk and a little bit more Group G talk for this podcast? Uh, I'm going to be talking about Brazil, five-time champions. Taylor Rocco, as mentioned, is going to be discussing Serbia today. Graham with the neutral Switzerland. And Joe Lowry will be covering Cameroon for us in this one. We'll start off, as we have done in all of these previews, with uh, the team's nicknames and the names that we're giving each respective team as well. I'll kick off with Brazil, who are known as both the Selecao, which means the selection in Portuguese, and the Carinho, the Canaries, because they're shirts. They're like canary-coloured. Isn't that fun? Um, my nickname for them is the Surprisingly Strong Defence. The SSD, just like your favourite flashcards. Um, they have, do have a very strong defence to Brazil. In fact, uh, during World Cup qualification and uh, the Copper America, the most recent one, their defence only allowed 0.74 XG per 90 minutes. And they only allowed five goals in the entirety of World Cup qualification. All 17 games. Not 18 games, I'll add. More on that shortly. Uh, also, their attack for the record is pretty strong. During that same period, they averaged 2.12 xG uh, per goals, uh, attacking goals per 90 minutes. A very strong attack as well. Uh, Joe, are you very proud of me for using xG for the first time ever? I am. I think you did good, Ryan. Good job, buddy. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you, uh, Taylor. Let's talk a little mm -hmm. about Serbia and their nicknames. 
Uh, their actual nickname is the Eagles, which sounds mighty and majestic. I don't know if they will love my nickname for them, which is the Double Stuffed Oreos. A variety pack of Double Stuffed Oreos at that <laughs> for two reasons. The first would be that if you look at their roster of 26 players, they have uh, 10 combined defenders and forwards. They have 13 midfielders. So in between the defense and the attack, they've got a whole bunch of midfield. So that feels double stuffed. Uh, but that does mean they have incredible depth through that midfield. And that's the other reason why they are double stuffed. They're double stuffed with talent. Oftentimes with Serbia, you get a team that is good players with a few very strong players thrown in there. I would say this team is maybe the deepest Serbia team I can remember, uh, and I think we should expect big things from them. Certainly the people of Serbia are expecting big things as well from the double stuffed Oreos. Wonderful stuff. Um, Graham, I ask you, what turns a man neutral? Lust for gold? Power, or were you just born with a heart full of neutrality? Yes, more Futurama references for you, Graham. Please continue. (laughs) That was a good Zap Brannigan. That was a very good Zap Brannigan by you. I try. Yeah, that was one of your better impressions, I have to say. (laughs) Graham, go ahead. uh, So, the the nicknames for Switzerland, please. Switzerland's nickname, yeah. So, they go by the nickname The A Team or Rosso Crociati, which means red crosses, like the flag, of course. We can do better than that, though. So, my total soccer show nickname for Switzerland is David Ferrer FC. That's a tennis analogy for anyone who doesn't know. I know Taylor loves Whoa. it when I do tennis anal- analogy. Hey, you called <laughs> Netherlands the Buffalo Bills, and I had no idea what you were talking about there. So I, I, I can do this. Uh, Ryan, you might know what I'm talking about here, David Ferrer. So he, he was did you, uh, a solid, Did you chamber successful... that evidence? Did you have the Bills thing ready to go knowing that I would object? <laughs> yeah it's like uh, one of those games where what was that black mirror series where there was like uh you know you you, you selected the route that you wanted go go through for the the story that's like that's what have with oh, you with, with choose your own adventure. Yeah. yeah i like it all right yeah cool. exactly that's it fine yeah, that's what i have in my notes anyway david ferrer he was a, a solid pretty successful tennis player but he never really had Big weapons, wasn't able to take the next step, and he was a staple of big tournaments. He'd do well at those big tournaments, but he had a a ceiling and ultimately kind of got outgunned against the best players. That is essentially Switzerland. They are a a good team. They've been well coached at previous tournaments. A little bit uninspiring, a little bit boring, but they hold their own, and I expect they'll do that again at this World Cup. Okay. Graham, if only there were a Swiss tennis player you could have um, compared them to. (laughs) Yeah, but he's... But they're not as good. They're not as good as those those two. They're, they're, okay. That's uh, that would be uh, that would be false praise. Okay, I was referring to Belinda Bencic and Jill Teichman, actually. But yeah, thanks, Graham. Yeah, cool. Right. Of course, the most, the, mo- the most famous Swiss <laughs> tennis player. Famous ones. Joe Lowry, Cameroon, please. Double stuffed Oreo was so good, and the tennis thing. All of these have been good so far. I really like them. Ryan used stats. I got to up my game here. So Cameroon's <laughs> real nickname is the Indomitable Lions, which is. Which is cool, right? I think it's it's good. pretty good. It is certainly cooler sounding than the nickname that I have for them, which is lopsided FC. Because Cameroon is a little lopsided in my estimation, and you see that when you watch film of them. Lots and lots of talented attackers. We saw that at AFCON recently back in, in 2021. Not so sold personally on the defending, and I can talk more about those things later. But Cameroon will be fun to watch in this tournament, I think, because they are lopsided. And sometimes that makes for entertaining, if not maybe the most effective soccer. Uh, Joe, I'm going to go out and say that the Indomitable Lions is not only the coolest international nickname, but also the hardest to say. No, okay, it might be the hardest to say in in English, at least. Cooler, I'm scrolling up in my notes. The Atlas Lions, I think, is preferred for me over the Indomitable Lions. That's Morocco, but uh, yeah, Indomitable Lions is pretty good too. Here's the thing, though. Indomitable Lions is uh, multiplied because if you go back and look at Rigobert's song when he was a player, sort of looks like he might have been part lion uh, with, with the blonde dreads. He's got a lot of like lion energy about him, so I think being coached by a person who might be part lion makes them that much more awesome. This is true. That's right, Taylor. You ain't lying about that one. Very, very good. Let's go to the story of each team heading into this tournament. I'll kick things off with Brazil. Uh, Five-time winners, as I mentioned. Uh, Their last win, though, in 2002, when uh, Ronaldo, the Brazilian Brazilian Ronaldo, goodness, I can't speak today. That guy scored twice in the final. Uh, The only nation to play in every single World Cup competition as well. In the last World Cup competition, however, didn't do too well by their standards. They were out in the quarter 
quarterfinals uh, at, the, at the hands of Belgium. Uh, no Casemiro in that side. He was not in that team that played Belgium. That will be important later in my summary of uh, this team. Uh, they were last summer's runner-up at the Copper America, though. They beat. They were beaten by Argentina in their own backyard at the Madacana in the final. That was a very, very big win for Argentina and a big loss for them, but they went deep in that tournament. And they were very good in qualification as well. They won 14 of their 17 games in qualification. And uh, I mentioned that it wasn't 18 games because one of them was postponed. If you remember, there was a game against Argentina that was a complete farce where all the players were out on the field and they weren't yeah. sure whether the teams had, um, had breached COVID-19 pro- protocols. There was some shenanigans and the game was ultimately cancelled. So, so Argentina and Brazil only played 17 games in qualification. Uh, but Brazil did rack up 40 goals in those 17 goals and just conceding five as well. Uh, and they qualified with six games to spare, did Brazil, uh, for this one. Uh, one sort of interesting nugget for Brazil is they haven't taken on European opposition since a March 2019 friendly against the Czech Republic. This is something that's mentioned a lot for uh, Brazil and Argentina and a lot of the South American teams, but the fact they haven't faced European opposition, I don't know whether that will be a huge problem come tournament time. I think this team is going to be very, very, very strong indeed. Taylor, let's talk about the European Mm -hmm. nation, Serbia, and their story heading into this one. I would very much like to do that. I have one question for you because I was researching uh, Uruguay for the next group preview and saw that uh, Brazil and Argentina hadn't played that game. Like, as far as you know, was that basically just that it wasn't going to change anything at the end of the day, that Brazil were going to be top, Argentina were going to be second, no one was going to catch them, and Argentina couldn't pass Brazil, so they basically just thought, you know what, 17 games is plenty? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think they looked at the schedule awesome. in the calendar and they didn't want to call everyone back from Europe. It does. There's some questionable integrity there, I'd say, Taylor, but that was the decision that was reached. I do like the idea that you can be good enough in World Cup qualifying to just be like, nah, we're taking a game off, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> Serbia did not take a game off, uh, transitioning us back to the team that I'm going to talk about. And we have in Serbia a case of the strong getting stronger. From World Cup qualifying to the Nations League, Serbia breezed through qualifying, six wins, two draws, 18 goals for, nine against, scoring plenty of goals, conceding a few, but still qualifying pretty comfortably, uh, finishing ahead of Portugal, getting a draw and a win against them. You mentioned that Vlaovic was their their main man, their main goal scorer. He is getting goals. He's got four in World Cup qualifying. Dusan Tadic chipped in too. But it is Alexander Mitrovic topping the goal scoring for them in World Cup qualifying. He had eight goals in Group A uh, and is an incredibly important player for them. Remains so uh, as they went on to top their Nations League B group. Uh, they earned promotion to League A, 4-1-1 one, one in group play with plenty of goals there. So we're, we have a team that hasn't had a dip in form like some of the other ones we've talked about from qualifying to the Nations League. They seem to be adding pieces. They seem to be gelling and getting even more consistent. And they definitely need that because their history at the World Cup is not great. They have never made it out of the group stage as Serbia. They made it out in 1998 as Yugoslavia uh, played against uh, both Brazil and Switzerland at the last World Cup. So they've got familiarity with some of their group stage opponents. But their World Cup history is checkered at best. A thing that they will very much be hoping to change this time round. And spoiler alert, I think they're very capable of doing so. Yeah. Croatia have a very checkered record as well, mainly because hey. of their shirts, Taylor, right? Yep. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, did a, I did a Soccer 101 episode about about the Croatia checkered jerseys and where they come from. Uh, you can find that one in the like national teams that wear different colors than their flags episode. Oh, like it very much. Graham Ruthven, if you'll tell us a bit about the Swiss and their journey of neutrality. So Switzerland have once again done a Switzerland in getting to this World Cup. So you look through their squad at a glance, and while there's a few notable names in there, players that you'll know from some big clubs around Europe, the immediate impression that you get is that this team isn't the most talented in terms of those those big names. But then you look through their results. So Switzerland qualified unbeaten for the 2022 World Cup. They finished ahead of European champions Italy in their group. And they conceded just two goals in eight games. So all very impressive. In the Nations League, uh, Switzerland finished with three straight wins against Spain, Portugal and the Czech Republic. They beat Spain in Spain as recently as September. Um, So this is a team that knows how to get results. And this has become a little bit of a cliche about this Switzerland team. But they're more than the sum of their parts. Um, And I think that's still something I'm going to talk 
a little bit later on about how this team is slightly different. They've got a new manager. I'll, I'll speak about that as well. They are slightly different than we've seen at previous tournaments, but they still have that 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 core value of they, they are better than you would maybe expect them to be. And this will be Switzerland's fourth straight appearance at a World Cup Finals. They've become a staple of major tournaments in recent years. They haven't made it past the the last sixteen stage in three of those last of those uh, four World Cups, and that that's a run that goes back to two thousand and six. And in fact, Switzerland have never made it beyond the quarterfinals of the World Cup, and and the last time that they did that was all the way back in nineteen fifty four when when they hosted it. I say that as if it's some sort of disgrace that Switzerland hasn't made it past the the quarterfinals. This is a country of just under nine nine million people, so they are punching above their weight by having the pedigree that that they do. But there is this ambition within Swiss football that they might one day make the the semi-finals, make the final four. I don't think that'll happen at this World Cup. They are in a little bit of transition, maybe more so than in previous tournaments. That's related to their new manager. But I don't think they'll be an easy team to play against either. Um, and when Graham talks about punching above their weight, I should add, there might be some actual punches thrown when Switzerland plays Serbia. Uh, when last they played oh, yes. against each other, there was a bit of conflict there. I think the uh, Albanian Kosovo uh, like uh, descent players for Switzerland doing like the double-headed eagle uh, so as a celebration, and that, uh, I think, caused some consternation, some frustration from Serbia. Uh, I'm not going to get into that whole conflict. I will just say I don't expect that has dissipated at all, and I think Serbian players probably won't have forgotten that. I think Switzerland players will be just as happy as they were last time uh, to have an opportunity to beat Serbia. So I think that is going to be a very spicy game, Serbia-Switzerland. Yeah, and that is interesting, Taylor. I think if I, if memory serves correct, the last tournament Switzerland are in, I think they could have fielded a team entirely who would have been eligible for Albania as well. Uh, there's a lot of a uh, mix there. Um, Cameroon Joe, who went very deep, as I referenced in my intro, in 1990. Can they pull off such a performance here. Well, let's, why don't you tell us about their story first? Maybe start, start in 1990. Why don't you? Yeah, my research definitely goes back to the 1990 <laughs> World Cup for this, uh, for this tournament. That is my expertise when we're talking soccer. Uh, I can say this is their eighth World Cup appearance, so that, that does date back quite some time. There you go, Ryan. I guess I scratched that, that box. Um, that's more than any other African nation. So they missed Russia in 2018, but then they go and finish third at AFCON in 2021. Now, they wanted to win that tournament, and not doing so was a disappointment, but I was still impressed by parts of what I saw from Cameroon at AFCON as we covered that tournament. Woke up qualifying, they finished on top of Group D in CAF. Uh, then they beat Algeria in the playoff to qualify. Uh, they did that in dramatic fashion, to say the least. So they lost at home to Algeria in the first leg. So those are two leg competitions, one home, one away. They lost at home to Algeria. So things were not looking good for Cameroon. Then they have a 124th minute winner from Carl Toko Ikambi to get them to Qatar. 120 and 24th minute. That is absurd in a moment that will go down in Cameroonian soccer history forever. Like that is a legendary moment for this team and for this group of players. They were winless in their last three pre-World Cup friendlies. Uh, a 2-0 loss to Uzbekistan, a 1-0 loss to South Korea, and a 1-1 draw with Japan. It does sound like there are some expectations for this team to perform in Qatar, though, at least from internal members of the Federation, including Samuel Eto, who is the head of the Cameroonian Football Federation, former legendary player, played for Barcelona, among a number of other teams. He talks about, you know, the team going in to, to win each match, obviously going in with that mindset. Of course, he's going to say that. There is something going on, though, in Cameroon that, that at least some people refer to as the Eto Project, which is basically just going out there and trying to get dual nationals to play for Cameroon, like every country should be doing if they're trying to better their, their federation. But they had some success recently. Brian Mbuemo, who plays for Brentford and, and also was eligible for France. There's a couple of other players as well, but I think he's the, the most high profile. There's a lot of talent in this team. They are not the flashiest, uh, but they could be a problem in this group because they have the attacking firepower to, to make stuff happen. And I can talk more about that attack later. And I hope you do, Joseph. Let's take a beat. And when we come back, we'll talk more about that attack. We'll talk more about all of these teams' tactics, their managers, and much, much more. Stick with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Group G preview. Let's kick it back off with Brazil. I'd like you to tell you a bit about their manager and the way they do things. Their current coach is Tite, T-I-T-E. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that 100% correctly. Tite is what I'm Gigi. going with. Tite, thank you very much, Taylor. Um, he arrived on the job in 2016 when Brazil was struggling in Comnebol qualification. He replaced Dunga. Uh, the legendary player, Dunga, who was fired after failing at the Copa America Centenario, which, as you'll remember, was held in the United States for no specific reason. Um, they no, were sick. Dollar, same dollar sign. Yeah, that's the reason, I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, they were sixth in qualification when he arrived in Common Gold World Cup qualification, that is. Then he went on to win seven straight matches and qualified. Uh, the first team to qualify were Brazil. So uh, he did. he done gone done a good job there. Uh, he was Corinthians manager three times. He's a bit of a Brazilian uh, journeyman manager, is Tichi. Um, also managed in the UAE, uh, the United Arab Emirates, a couple times as well. So maybe some familiarity with the Qatari region. Uh, he was a player. Um, in the Brazilian lower leagues uh, previously as well. So I've got a good quote from him from back in October from Titi. This is, at the time of the 2019 Copa America, we didn't have Anthony and Rafinha. We didn't have Vinny and he was still adapting at Real Madrid and Gabriel Martinelli was just training with us. Now this generation has really arrived and wow, says Titi, it was the progress of these players that's enabled us to play with five attack-minded players at the same time. So yeah, not only do they have a strong... uh, uh, a strong defence, as I mentioned earlier, but also, yeah, multiple attackers, as you'd expect from a Brazil side, who tend to set up in a 4-3-3 or occasionally a 4-2-3-1. And the style here is everything you'd expect from Brazil. Possession-based control is very important to Tichi's teams and very important to Brazil uh, as a a soccer nation. Uh, You'll see an interesting move here where the two wide midfielders will often push up, the fullback will press up to create a double pivot with someone uh, with your Casemiro figure, your defensive midfielder. And this forms effectively a 3-5-2 when they're in attack. So the idea here is to completely flood the zones, overwhelm the opposing, opposing defence, the opposing centre-backs. And this, herein lies, I think, their only possible weakness. It leaves them wide open to the counter when they do this 3-5-2 thingy. Uh, and when you think that Maybe the centre-backs are going to be Thiago Silva and Marquinhos. Maybe not the fastest players in the world. That might be the uh, the small chink in the Brazilian armour. But very, very strong team here who are set up for success. And it's no uh, it's no coincidence that most bookies uh, are favouring this Brazil team, or the majority of bookies, I should say, are favouring this Brazil team to win star number six at this tournament. Uh, Taylor, mm-hmm. a little on Serbia, their manager, and how they set things up. Serbia are managed by the man, the myth, the legend that is Dragan Stojkovic, the 57-year-old former national team captain. If you read about Serbia heading into this World Cup, a lot of the optimism seems to be rooted in him being in charge uh, because he has gotten them playing the style of soccer that I think Serbians have wanted them to play for a very long time. Prior to him, uh, it was a bit more stodgy, a bit more defensive. That culminates in being eliminated from Euro qualifying in a penalty shootout by Scotland. Graham, credit to you. You did it. You beat Serbia. Uh, But then in comes Stojkovic. He's got them playing bolder, faster uh, soccer centered around ball movement, change of pace players like Sergei Milikovic-Savic and Dusan Tadic. Uh, And he is really... I wasn't as familiar with him. I should pause there to say. And, And basically the analogy I would draw with Stojkovic is... When Diego Maradona is given the Argentina national team job, if Diego Maradona had actually been a capable tactician and manager, because it's basically a player who is beloved in the country for what he did. He is, I think his nickname amongst others is that he's the fifth star of Red Star. He was a legend for Red Star. He played for Yugoslavia in two different World Cups. Uh, he was one of their most uh, technically gifted players of all time. He is absolutely beloved in that country. So you have this legend taking over the national team, but then actually pushing them to greater feats. They're playing better soccer. They're playing more attacking soccer. They're being very aggressive in the way they play. A lot of that has to do with their shape and approach. Uh, they will play a 3-4-3, some variation 
taken in there. It's either a three four one two or a three four two one, depending on uh, the personnel and depending on the opponent. Uh, and if it's a a weaker opponent or someone that they think can ma- basically they can take the game to, then it's going to be uh, that three four one two with very aggressive wingbacks getting involved in the attack. If it's a stronger team, then they can play more defensive wingbacks, keep them home, and then sort of look to hit on the counter through a very uh, talented and connected strike force with plenty of creative midfielders through them, hence the double-stuffed Oreos. But it's a team that have been playing the same style, the same formation pretty much every single game with a manager that uh, seems to have the entire squad motivated and unified. And I think this is going to be, again, a very strong team uh, in this group. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Taylor. And listen, I apologize if you hear background noise here. I'm in Malta at the moment randomly, and it appears there's like a bell ringing competition happening next door. So uh, I apologize. The, if you yeah, the famous Malta bell ringing competition, Ryan, obviously. Yeah, the 518. That's why you're there, is it not? I thought, I thought you were there to ring. I, yeah, I'm a contestant in the bell ringing. I didn't think they'll be doing it during my podcast at 518 on a on a, a Wednesday evening. Here we are, though. Has Here anyone are, ever though. seen... Has anyone ever seen Ryan Bailey and Carmen Sandiego in the same room at the same time? That's my question, because Ryan is constantly in different <laughs> locations, and I need an explanation for it that is more than just Ryan is a spy or an international man of mystery. And now I'm thinking that maybe you're an international criminal who just pops up in different places at different He's times. Batman. If you steal the pyramids, Ryan, we're going to know it was you, and I'm going to have questions. Okay, yeah, I, I'm reasonably well-traveled, Taylor. My passport is worn out, or my many passports. Mm. See, this is my question. You also uh, did deny stealing the pyramids, and now I'm concerned. Well, like David Copperfield style. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, we're going Too off topic. Like show. <laughs> Graham, st- uh, uh, tell us a bit about Switzerland and their manager and tactics, please. So Murat Yakin is the the Switzerland head coach and he'll be familiar to listeners who remember him as a player. He was he was a good player. So he played for Stuttgart and Fenerbahce and a few other clubs and was capped 49 times, 49 times for Switzerland. So he's someone who already has a bit of background with the Swiss national team. He took over from from uh, Vladimir Petkovic after last year's Euros. And obviously his first brief was to get Switzerland to the World Cup, which he did, but also to evolve their style of play. So we covered Switzerland at the Euros last summer and they'd started to become a little bit of a parody of themselves. Very effective, well drilled, but a bit boring to watch, certainly in in an attacking sense. And actually, in 13 major tournament matches under Petkovic, there was only 16 total goals in those games for Switzerland. So I'm not talking about scoring 16 goals, I'm talking about scored and conceded. So it wasn't just us as neutrals that found that a little bit dull. Swiss fans also want their team to be more watchable under Yakin. Now, Switzerland, they are a bit more direct. They're less reliant on possession, and they're quicker to try and make things happen in, in the attacking third. So Petkovic, he liked a back three, but Yakin so far, he's, he's favoured a, a 4-2-3-1 formation. He wants to balance the defence and, uh, and the attack, and he wants Switzerland to be a well-rounded team that is capable of doing good things on both sides of the ball. This is a younger Switzerland team than we've seen in recent times. In fact, there's only two players in the squad who are over the age of of 30. Uh, And that younger profile allows Switzerland to play a bit of a more proactive game. It's it's not high press that they're using. I wouldn't even say that they're they're a particularly intense team, but they do use a targeted intensity. Um, So don't expect them to press relentlessly high up the pitch, but they are intelligent with when they they choose to press and and when when they close down. That's a bit of a difference from Petkovic because Switzerland like to stand off opponents under Petkovic. So there's there's a slight transition happening there. Um, there is still a sense that the transition is still happening in, in the attacking third because their, their numbers aren't great there. So their, their XG per match is in the ninth percentile, which basically means they don't create many high-value opportunities. They rank pretty poorly in terms of general shots on goal as well. Um, they do have good crossers of the ball, so they have fullbacks who like to get forwards, and that is an important source of how they create and score goals. They can occasionally play through teams with the ball. I saw that a couple times when I was doing my research on them, watching back some games, but that really requires opponents to press them, and from then they can, from there, sorry, they can they can spray out wide and create overloads and and get through that way. Um, they do have a couple of key players who are so important to progressing the ball for them. So they they split their centre backs often, and they push them in the, into the middle of the pitch. One player in particular is very important in in doing that. I'll speak about him a little bit later on. Um, but if you stand off Switzerland, there is still a sense that you can stifle them, and maybe they won't be able to play through them. Defensively, they don't dive into tackles. If you look at 
if you look at their tackling in dual numbers, they rank very lowly among the teams at this World Cup. Yakin likes his players to stay on their feet and to be positionally aware of what is around them. He's he's spoken about that recently. Um, so opposition teams, they will get shots against Switzerland, but the bet that Yakin makes is that those shots won't be from high-value areas and they'll be easily blocked or they won't be on target and they'll go into the stand. Generally speaking... Switzerland have made some subtle changes to the way that they play since the last Euros, but I think Yakin has been smart not to try too much all at once. Keep in mind that even though it was Euro 2020, that tournament happened in 2021. That was only a year ago, so not a huge amount of time for him to reinvent the wheel. So I think he's been smart there just to make subtle changes, and a lot of the same principles are still there. But I am hopeful that maybe we'll see a slightly more watchable Swiss team at this World Cup. All right. Thank you very much, Graham. And let's hear a little bit about Cameroon and their tactics and their manager. Please, Joe Lowry. So as you mentioned in your intro, Ryan Bailey, Rigobert Song is the manager of Cameroon. He's 46, 137 caps for Cameroon as a player. Had a, a really interesting and at times difficult beginning to his coaching career. So coached the Cameroon A team. I I'd never heard of this. That is basically like the local national team with players who play in Cameroon. So if, if they're based in Cameroon and play soccer there, they could be on the Cameroon A team. So I, I didn't know about that. But as he's coaching this group, he has a brain aneurysm. So eventually he recovers, comes back to coaching, and becomes the caretaking manager, so temporary manager of Cameroon's full national team, then goes down to coach the U23s, then comes back up again to coach the full national team and take over that job on a, on a permanent basis, or at least as much of any, as any of these managers are permanent, in February of this year. So that was less than a month before the playoff against Algeria that I referenced earlier where Akambi scores that, that 124th minute winner to get them to the World Cup. So he guides them to World Cup qualification at the very, very end, which was pivotal for this group. He's only had six games in charge, seven before the World Cup, if you count the Panama match that's going to happen on Friday before the World Cup. So there hasn't been a lot of time with Song in charge, just like there hasn't been a lot of time for several managers at this World Cup. They defend, though, in, in a relatively consistent way. So they defend in a 4-1-4-1 in a against South Korea. At least that was the shape they've used. They've used that at other times as well. They will press from time to time. There is certainly space to exploit between their lines. And that's something I got at earlier with my nickname for this team in that they're lopsided. They can be dangerous in the 4-3-3. Like, they have the attacking talent to do that. And, and they have plenty of promising attacking players. But there are some weaknesses in this group. They press at times, and there's, there's space to exploit behind the back line, in between their lines in midfield, even when they're back in a mid-block. I have concerns about that part of this team for as fun as they can be to watch in the attack. At a World Cup, and we just had this run for backfield, I believe only 33% of goals at the 2018 World Cup came in open play, right? So they, you know, goal scoring in open play is important, but it is not as important as it might be at club level. So Cameroonians, uh, Cameroon's attack might be neutralized a bit in their defense, either on set pieces, in open play for that percentage of goals, and all of those kinds of things. That has me a bit worried. But hey, maybe under Rigobert Song, they'll find their identity and they'll really come together before this tournament starts. Maybe we'll see that against Panama and then as the group stage gets underway. Thank you very much, Joe. Just to uh, go slightly off topic, Graham, uh, kit watch for Group G. Who has the best kit? Uh, a Cameroon in a sleeveless onesie this time round? <laughs> Unfortunately not. I mean, that would put them top of any power rankings for, for any kits at, at any World Cup. But no, they're, they're not. Unfortunately, I think they're Puma kits at, the, at this tournament, which is... Uh, it's not ideal, given the templates that, that Puma are using at, the, at this tournament. But I don't know. It, it, it's slim it's slim pickings in this group, actually, because I'm not a massive fan of the of the two Brazil shirts. Normally, Brazil is particularly the home shirt. I even like the blue away shirt that Brazil have. I like that color, that color palette. But they've kind of got a like a sort of cheetah pattern, leopard print pattern on it on the, on the sleeves this year. And I'm not so keen on that. So, yeah, maybe not the best group for, for kits at this World Cup. I think there was it was a World Cup. Maybe it was twenty ten that Cameroon tried to play without sleeves, and then they had to add, like like add to their jersey right before the tournament started. So maybe they've just gone slightly more neutral this time because they don't want to have to change things up last minute. Yeah, there we go. All right, thank you very much, guys. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's learn a little bit more about the respective rosters of these national teams, and we're going to get some very specific predictions. Back shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Group G preview. We're going to talk a little bit about the rosters now. And why don't we start with one of the best rosters at this year competition, Brazil, who are scary good. Uh, Hard to see any weak spots in this squad, to be honest. You start off at goalkeeper, where they've got two of the Premier League's best goalkeepers, Alisson and Edison. That's a nice luxury to have Edison as your backup there. They've got two top-tier centre-backs there, as I mentioned, in Thiago Silva and Marquinhos in there. Uh, I mean, two of the best defensive midfielders. They've got Casemiro and they've got Fabinho available there as well. It's it's just a very, very talented team without even getting to the main attacking players as well. Uh, there are some absences in this squad. As I mentioned earlier, no Firmino or Coutinho in this one. No Gabriel Barbosa, no Gabby Goal in this squad either. And no Emerson Royale from Spurs, which Spurs fans might say is understandable. But then Danny Alves was picked over him. Danny Alves, who is 97 For years the old. Yeah, he's, he's the vibes <laughs> man. He is the Brazilian Chris Gunter, Graham, is what I will call him. Because he is there purely for vibes. Uh, if you remember from the Wales preview, that's uh, Chris Gunter's role as well. Um, so, yeah, a, a very good team. Lots and lots of talent. Uh, in terms of key players, a lot of their uh, attacking players I'm going to pick out here. No surprises. Neymar is quite good. Uh, it's his third World Cup this will be. He's also hinted at 30 years old this might be his last World Cup. We'll see if that holds, but uh, interesting there. Um, and there's a phrase which I, I, I saw in The Guardian, Neymar Dependencia, Dependencia, Neymar Dependencia, which is the dependence upon Neymar, which has been used over the last few tournaments. And... 
having been on the ground in 2014 in Brazil and watching the news coverage and watching how much pressure was on Neymar's shoulder from the national media, uh, it was every single channel when he got injured was covering it and they were, you know, it, it was quite insane and stuff I'd never even seen on a European or English level, the, the intensity of the coverage. So a lot of um, a lot on his shoulders still, I would suggest there. Um, and, you know, this this is a team that's had a lot of great players burst onto the scene as well, as I mentioned earlier in that Tichi quote with players like Rafinha, who've come into the squad, with Vinicius Junior, with Rodrigo and Gabriel Martinelli as well. Uh, and Tichi calls them the Peninhas Rapidas, the fast little legs. So a decent amount of pace, which has come in with these younger uh, players as well. Uh, to pick out a couple more players, I'd like to talk about Lucas Paqueta from West Ham, who is now very much established in this team and keeping Vinny, Vinicius Junior, out of this team on occasion as well, which is a very interesting development, which I'll get to later too. Um, Bruno Gmarish from Newcastle, who I'm not sure will get on the field for a full 90, but a very good option to have, and he's playing obviously very well with Newcastle at the moment. And the number nine shirt, which now belongs to uh, the Pombo, the Pigeon, Richarlison, who has scored 17 goals in his 38 games for Brazil so far. Uh, Richarlison probably not... You know, probably not comparable to the original Ronaldo, the R9 Ronaldo, but still doing a decent job for this Brazil team as well. Uh, I think that's pretty much all I was going to talk about. Oh, maybe um, the, the fullbacks as well. I'd, I'd expect that the Juventus fullback combo would play here, Danilo and Alexandro, but they've got some decent options in there as well. They've got Alexandro, they've got Alex Taylor, they've got Danilo. And the aforementioned <laughs> Mr. Mr. Um, Mr. 97-year-old Danny Alves as well to, to fall back on. So a very, very stacked team here. Lots of interesting options and lots of very good attacking players who might not even make it on the field. I'll get to that a little bit with my VSP as well. But um, a quick summary there of a Brazil team that every other team should be terrified by. Taylor, Serbia. Serbia. Um, I will start with the heart of the midfield. As I said, they're likely to play a 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-3, whatever you want to go with. Uh, and in that heart of midfield, it might be uh, Nemanja Gudeli. Uh, it might be Sasha Lukic, uh, either one capable of playing as that uh, sort of number six role, the more defensive side of things. But I need it to be Sasha Lukic because if it's Lukic starting, then we get, uh, as you're starting 11, my guess would be uh, Vlaovic, Mitrovic, Tadic, Lukic, uh, Milinkovic Savic, Kostic, Zivkovic, uh, Pavlovic, Mitrovic, Milinkovic, and Rekovic. So you get uh, all your itches in there all at once. Uh, in goal, it might be uh, Rekovic, it might be Sergei Milinkovic Savic's brother, uh, who is uh, also on this team and can play in goal. They've kind of switched out uh, who starts. Uh, but more critical players than uh, like the end of their name would be uh, Strahinya Pavlovic, 21 year old. Left-footed left center back, uh, he is six foot four. Currently plays for Salzburg. Has been an ever-present player in the back three for Serbia in qualifying. Made his debut at club level when he was seventeen years old with Partizan, and is a very hard-fighting defender. He usually uh, is matched with Nikola Milenkovic and Milos uh, Velkovic. Uh, sometimes it's Stefan Mitrovic, no relation to Alexander Mitrovic. I looked that one up too because I wanted them to be the team of brothers, but sadly, no relation. Uh, he is very physical uh, and really toes the line, Pavlovic, between foul and not foul. He is not particularly fleet of foot. Uh, he is six foot four, so he can make up some ground that way. But if it is a foot race, he is is the type that is a hassling defender. He's going to tug that jersey. He's going to pull the arm. He's going to give it a little elbow. Uh, he, there will always be afters. There will be a little shove in the back. Uh, oftentimes, even if it just ends up going out for a goal kick or a corner kick, the player who is carrying the ball forward ends up on the ground. So I won't be surprised if Pavlovich concedes a penalty or a free kick in this one, but I also won't be surprised if he is kind of rocking their defense, heading everything away, stepping to win 50-50 balls, and also has the ability to carry the ball forward with his feet and find some good passes. Uh, ahead of him, I would say Dusan Tadic and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic will be the really important midfielders to keep an eye on. They do the defensive side of things, Milinkovic-Savic more so than Tadic, but obviously when it comes to the attack, both of them very capable of creating, very capable of scoring goals, and I think give uh, Serbia some steel and some creativity in that midfield. 
But in terms of goal scoring, it is Alexander Mitrovic who is uh, carrying this team, also carrying an ankle injury heading into this tournament. Uh, but we would hope that he will be uh, on the mend and able to go. Still only 28 years old somehow. <laughs> I will forever be confused by that one. Uh, it seems like he's been 28 years old for nine years. Uh, six goals in his last four games for Serbia. Nine goals for Fulham in the Premier League. That's good for joint fourth. Um, 50 goals and 76 appearances for the national team. Solid in the air. Solid on the ground. And even if he himself isn't scoring, he occupies defenders so much, especially on set pieces, especially on crosses, that it then then opens up space for Dusan Vlaovic, who has scored four in his last eight, I think eight in 16 total appearances. So he is nothing if not consistent for Serbia. But the two of them up top with really uh, electric, creative midfielders behind them and then uh, very electric, creative wingers, if they want to go that route, again, you have that stacked midfield where a lot of midfielders, I think, will end up playing at wing back. I'm going to talk about two of them later on when we get to specific predictions. But it's a Serbia team that can frustrate and sit deeper. They can also take the game to you and be really aggressive in possession and in attack and I think have the the depth and talent to be able to do all those things pretty effectively. Uh, Taylor, I have a question for you if you'll indulge me solely for my own amusement. Um, Can you read out that starting 11 again but in your Dutch accent please? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. I tried. I tried. <laughs> um, it's just, isn't it? It's all it is is just me going like yes. That's all it is. So it's like Flaovic, Mitrovic. Yeah, that's all it yeah. is. There you go. I got a sample. That was all I wanted. It's it's bad. It's bad across the board. Is what we're getting at. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tater. Uh, Graham, let's hear a bit about the Swiss roster, please. So in terms of their key players, I have to mention Grant Xhaka as a key player for this Swiss team. He has obviously been an important player for them for a long time and generally he plays better for his country than he does for his club. But right now, Grant Xhaka is probably in the form of his life for, for his club. He's enjoying an excellent season for, for Arsenal, shutting up a lot of his critics and his doubters. Uh, there have been plenty of those over the years. And he's so important to the way that Switzerland progressed the ball through the, the middle of the pitch. He's very good at reading the game and understand when to keep hold of the ball and when to break the lines with a with a pass. And and that reading of the game also allows Zaka to, to, to step in and intercept and stop opposition attacks. And as always with Zaka, you you don't want him diving into tackles because he's a little bit of a walking red card. Uh, he certainly has that in him in, in, in big games, but... He generally doesn't need to do that, and I would say at the moment he is in very good form, so I would expect him to carry that into the World Cup for Switzerland. At the back, Switzerland have a, a very balanced centre-back pairing in that Elvedi is the, the physical presence, who is better at a lot of the traditional defensive stuff. And then you have Manuel Akanji alongside him, who is the, the one that brings the ball out from the back. He averages more progressive passes than any other Swiss defender, and without him, the Switzerland team would be very different. They wouldn't have that link between the defence and the midfield that allows them to get up the pitch. And Akanji, he's been a bit of a surprise package for Man City this season. I can't say there was much fuss about his signing from, from Dortmund in, in the summer, but we've seen just how good he can be when he's got good players around him. And obviously he doesn't have the same calibre of players around him for Switzerland, but nonetheless, this is a good team. So he should be in good shape for the World Cup and he's playing well at the moment. Up front, Switzerland, that is a bit of a weakness for them. They, they are lacking a, a true goal-scoring uh, number nine, the USMNT problem, I believe they now call that. Uh, like the US, they do have some decent options, so Brill Embello will probably start. He has got pace, he's energetic, but his execution in front of goal isn't always there. The power cube is still an important player for Switzerland. He's a he's a chance creator, and if Switzerland can can get him the ball high up the pitch, there's there's a good chance that he will do something with it. But Shakiri, he's he's fading a little bit now. I'm not sure that he's the player that he was a, a few years ago. So maybe Switzerland can't count on him like they could have at the last Euros or certainly the last World Cup. Um, Noah Okafor is, is an interesting player. In a lot of ways, he embodies what Switzerland want to be. He's he's 22, he's direct, he's dangerous in, in quick transition, and he's got a, a bright future. He's playing well for, for Red Bull Salzburg in the Champions League. But he's he's not quite there yet in terms of being the sort of player that they can count on to score at a World Cup or certainly to score multiple goals 
at a World Cup. Maybe he will be that player in the future, but he's he's not quite there yet. Still early in his development. So that is a weakness for the Switzerland team. Uh, out wide, Ricardo Rodriguez is a, a very important supply line to their attack. He seems to have been around for ages, but he's he's still the one who gets Switzerland forward at, at speed most effectively. And of course, he's got an excellent left, left foot, which helps with crosses and, and, and set pieces. And uh, I figure Ricardo Rodriguez, he'll still be playing at World Cups 20 years from now. He's sort of the player equivalent of Carlos Queiroz. It's not a World Cup if Ricardo Rodriguez is not playing at it, but he's still a very important player for this Swiss team. Uh, goalkeeper Jan Sommer is also a very important player to this Swiss team. He, he was actually an injury doubt after picking up an ankle injury in October, but he's been named in the squad and the expectation is that he will play. So that is that is good news for Switzerland. And that is the only real injury concern that, that Switzerland have for this tournament. They will be pretty much at full strength. Um, and those are the, the, their key players. And I think particularly Akanji and Jaka, if those two guys turn up in form, I think Switzerland have got a good chance of getting out of this group. Good stuff. Thank you, Graeme. We should also note that the Power Cube has got quite a lot of World Cup experience competing for the World Cup with the Chicago Fire as well. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 he's been here before. He's got the T-shirt. He does indeed. He does indeed. Uh, Joe, last but not least, let's hear a bit about Cameroon and their roster, please. Okay, so lots of quality in the attack. That's what I've been referencing continually. I'll run through some of the names in this squad Carl Toko Akambi, I mentioned earlier, he's 30 years old, scored that, that pivotal goal against Algeria, scored five goals in AFCON, plays for Lyon, has these really long legs, he's, he has a really good ability to play in different spaces, can play centrally as a nine, Cameroon don't really need him to do that, so I would expect to see him off to the left side a little bit, either in the left half space or wider at times on the left wing. He is someone to watch for sure. He can get in behind very well, also has quality on the ball. That's it can be. They have Vincent Abubakar, who could be up top for them, 30 years old, physical. He plays in Saudi Arabia, good right foot, hunts balls down in the box. Doesn't have like the greatest aerial ability in the world, but has the physicality to get a defender out of the way and then rise up and head the ball. He's not the tallest guy, and that, that kind of factors into his aerial ability. But it's still... A dangerous player and someone that I had back in my notes from AFCON for Cameroon, you know, however long ago that was now. Someone to watch as well, Eric Mac, uh, Maxim Chobomoting, who plays for Bayern Munich, number nine, good player, has done done pretty well for Bayern this year now that Robert Lewandowski has moved on and has scored some pivotal goals for them in the past as well. Just kind of a, a well-rounded number nine that I think the U.S., to sort of tie back to what Graham was talking about, the U.S. without that might take... Chopomoting in a heartbeat and have him start in some of the games in the group stage. So he is a capable player, if not like, you know, the, the most famous attacker of all time. I mentioned Brian Mbuemo as well, who plays for Brentford. He's got a left foot. He looks like, uh, Mbuemo looks like Memphis Depay's younger brother. Just keep that in the back of your mind if you ever watch. Like, he looks like just a smaller version of Memphis Depay, maybe a little squatter as well, but very aggressive, gets in behind the back line, a vertical threat, doesn't have the, the best weak foot. But as far as a, an option to, to break in, in behind the back line and exploit space, Mbuemo is dangerous. And then maybe the key player that I think could string together and really tie this Cameroonian team together is Andre Frank Zembo Anguisa, who plays for Napoli. He's had a really good season for them under Spalletti. Uh, was, was good for Napoli long before then, was good for Cameroon at AFCON. He's just an excellent conductor. Like, you go on FBREF, and I, I think, or at least I hope folks out there know about this because it's a really good tool. FBREF has those scouting reports, and they have the percentile charts, right, when you go on and look at a player's profile in FBREF. Uh, Anguisa's is all green. Like, may, okay, some of it is a little bit gray, and it sort of fades from green to gray, but he is good at, at everything. As far as a midfielder goes, he can hold, he can progress, he can dribble past you, he can pass through you. He has great close control, very press resistant, can get forward and create some chances as well. I think he's going to have somewhat of a more holding, connective role in this midfield. He's an excellent player. I think his profile could rise a lot at this World Cup. It's already done some with Napoli this year and the season they've been having, but he is really, really good. Uh, my, my concern about this Cameroon team is that for as good as those players that I just mentioned are, and as good as Anguisa can be at connecting, uh, Rigobert Song drops a key center back before this tournament, which has been written about a lot in, in Cameroon and in sort of in the national international coverage as well. And maybe they don't have the same quality in the back as one example, not to slander Major League Soccer's finest. Nuhu is their starting left back. And, and Nuhu's a good player, right? He does a lot of things very well for Seattle. He was a real star at AFCON as well. But when Nuhu is your starting left back, you accept certain things about how your back line is going to work. 
you accept that at times you're not going to be particularly defensively sound on that left side. You accept that you're going to need some cover from the forward line, maybe from the midfield group as well, and certainly from your center backs to make up for some of those gaps. And they like to push you know, the right back, who at times is Colin Sfai on that right side forward. There is space to exploit in behind. There's space to exploit just individually. There are individual weaknesses here in this Cameroonian back line. I think Nuhu is a good example of that. Does a lot of things well, will be dangerous getting forward, and can be a good 1v1 defender if he's locked in. But he kind of has a little bit of that Serginho Dest quality to him where you, you maybe just don't know quite what you're going to get from game to game. That's my concern about Cameroon. But still, I'm excited to watch this team because of all those names that I mentioned. I think it comes together to create a very entertaining product that we're going to see in Qatar. All right. And I'm excited for us to discuss briefly which teams are going to get through in Group G or maybe which teams or which team is going to accompany Brazil on the way through. We'll get to that right after our very specific predictions. I'll kick off with my one for Brazil. Uh, I am going to say that Lucas Paqueta, the aforementioned West Ham star, he's going to start over Vinny, Vinicius Jr., in this tournament on every possible occasion. And he's going to get four-plus goals and assists. Uh, Vinicius Jr. has only scored one goal for Brazil in 16 appearances. He hasn't quite turned it on for the national team like he does for his domestic side. Uh, Paqueta already has seven goals from 35 appearances as well. Um, Four goals and an assist in World Cup qualification. He played 14 of those 17 World Cup qualifiers as well. So I think Paqueta is the one who's going to get the start probably to the left of Richarlison in the three behind, uh, uh, behind Richarlison. And four goals and assists combined minimum for him. That is my VSP. Taylor, Serbia's VSP. Yes, sir. Uh, mine is about the, the wingbacks I mentioned previously, especially the attacking wingbacks. I believe uh, Filip Kostic and Andrija Zivkovic will each get an assist in the group stage. Uh, the reasons for this would be, number one, Serbia scores goals. They haven't always in World Cups. They haven't always uh, in qualifying, but this time around they are scoring plenty, and those wingbacks have been key contributors lately, heavily involved in the attack. Uh, Kostic also has uh, the connection with Vlaovic at Juve. Uh, So far, Kostic, 21 appearances, 5 assists this season, so there's already a connection there. But both these players involved in the attack in World Cup qualifying and in the Nations League, notching assists there. Uh, And with Zivkovic especially, since I think he's probably the lesser known of those two watching him was surprised to learn very good with both feet can play left or right wing back very left footed though if he has the opportunity to be but really smart in when he underlaps versus overlaps and finding those little bits of space and then also with when he crosses versus when he fakes the cross cuts to the end line and then goes for the low pass back sometimes he'll even fake the cross and then go for like a like a reverse sort of low pass into somebody's feet and he's very good at finding opportunities in the box so I think Kostic and Zivkovic will each get an assist in the group stage. Very nice thank you Taylor. Uh, Graham your neutral Swiss prediction I, I don't know why I'm going on the neutral thing so much I'm sorry <laughs> so my VSP for Switzerland is that Manuel Akanji will have more touches of the ball than any other Swiss player at this World Cup. So as I've already detailed, he's so important to how they use the ball. And if teams can stop him from playing out, then they stand a good chance of stopping Switzerland as a whole. So that's my VSP. Also, Braille Mbolo, excuse me, he will miss a big chance at the near post. So I, I found a breakdown of where he shoots on a on an a- analytics site of where he shoots and he takes a disproportionate number of near po- near post shots and his conversion rate isn't great either so i think he's going to miss a, a a chance at the near post and ryan you, you just going back to the the kits you kind of caught me off guard a little bit there because it wasn't in my in my notes i've been doing some googling and and jogging my memory because i have seen all the kits at this world cup this is the worst group for kits at this at this world cup so i said that cameroon were uh, were Puma. They used to be Puma. For this World Cup, they're won all sports, which is, as far as I can see, they're the only football team that this manufacturer makes. And I found a, an article on footyheadlines.com that shows that the badges on this One World Sports Cameroon shirt are not centred. Uh, they're different sizes. And so it looks asymmetrical on the front of the shirt. And the Brazil shirts are bad. The Switzerland shirts are bad. And the Serbia shirts are bad. So I'm not I'm not convinced. Maybe some good players and good teams in this group, but I'm not convinced that the best shirts are here. Oh, dear. 
You hate to hear it. You hate to hear it, Graham. Thank you for that update. You and do. I um I looked up Brian Bolo because I I swear I remember writing about him for like Euro two thousand eight. He's twenty five. I feel like he's one that we talk about every time as being maybe someone who can break through and do something on on the big stage. But eh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe that's I, I I'm I'm similar. He he was there was a lot of excitement around him, and then it just, he hasn't really flourished in the way that yeah. people expected him to. Yeah. I think he always gets injured. We had him on the scouting network. He always like right when he's hitting that form, he has a, a really bad injury that keeps him out for like six months, and always sort of holds him back from making that next leap. Maybe that will be this competition, or maybe he'll get another injury. Uh, I'm hoping that it's the the breakout and not the injury again. Indeed, uh, Joe. Last but not least, your very specific prediction for Cameroon, please. I think Cameroon will have at least one game in the group stage with at least five total goals goals scored. So it could be 2-3, it could be 3-2, it could be 4. I don't know what the scoreline is going to be, but I think, and I have a special eye on the Brazil match in this particular case, where both teams can be more open at times, although I think Brazil have better control of the game and of games plural than Cameroon do. But I think Cameroon's going to have at least one game in the group stage with five total goals scored or more. Lots of attacking talent, as I've talked about, not as convinced defensively. That sounds like a recipe for goals to my mind. All right, very good. And Joe, is there enough of a recipe for goals for Cameroon for them to make it through to the knockout rounds? What do you think? Who's going through in Group G? I do not have Cameroon going through, as sad as that makes me. I think Brazil will finish on top. And I'm convinced by Serbia. I didn't know a lot about them coming into this particular episode, but... There's a lot of quality there. Taylor has made me excited about the new and improved Diego Maradona leading this group. I I, I think Serbia will finish second. Okay. Uh, Taylor, your thoughts? I I think uh, I appreciate that, Joe. I was very hyped on Serbia, and I sort of, without having read much about Switzerland or heard much about them, was expecting it to be like that team that's finally gone a step too far, it's a bridge too far, maybe this is the one where the wheels come off. I did not know that they had reinvented themselves. And I am confident saying Brazil will make it through. I think we're we're sort of fortunate that the final uh, like fixtures in this group are Cameroon, Brazil, and then Serbia, Switzerland. Because uh, I think that will be the match that determines who goes through likely in second place. Uh, I could see a scenario in which Serbia are on top and they just need a draw. I could see a scenario in which it's the Swiss who just need a draw. Uh, either way, I think that one's going to be electric. I think because of my my research bias, I'm going to give the edge to Serbia, but I think Graham has done a great job of pointing out why it might be the Swiss uh, for the very same reasons. Okay. Uh, I think I'm I'm going to go with Brazil and Switzerland in this one. Graham, what do you think? How very neutral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Brazil, top of the group, obviously. So Opta give Brazil a 16% chance of winning this World Cup, which is a higher chance than any other nation and you can't really argue with a supercomputer or, or Joe those uh, those are the two things that you can't argue <laughs> with a supercomputer or, or, or Joe so Brazil I think are going to finish top of the group Switzerland Taylor I, I think Serbia are maybe a more exciting team and have maybe got better players but Switzerland just do as Switzerland do at all at these major tournaments and I, I just think they'll they'll find a way to finish second in this group so I'm going to go with Brazil Switzerland, Serbia, Cameroon, but I very much agree that it's probably going to be decided by that that final fixture between Serbia and Switzerland. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Graham. Listener, what do you think about Group G? Don't, don't, don't say it now. Um, come to Brooklyn on Sunday and tell us then uh, and buy a ticket. That would be wonderful. Um, but for now, that is Group G. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell, for all of your contributions today. Thank you very much, Ryan Bailey. And thank you very much, Travis Clark and his son, Lucas, for listening to every World Cup preview. Lucas, your dad is very smart, even if he makes you listen to our World Cup previews. But thank you to you both. Thank you to everyone else for listening as well. Indeed. And thank you to Joe Lowry, our very own supercomputer. Aw, uh, beep, beep, boop, boop to, to you to you guys, I guess. <laughs> Yay. It's a sad robot. Oh. <laughs> the melancholy supercomputer. And Graham Rutherford, thank you very much for you as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And listener, thank you again for joining us on this one. We've got one more World Cup preview coming on the feed for Group H that contains Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and the Korea Republic. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye! Bye! <laughs>